Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. All right, here goes. One more reminder about our meetup in Vallejo, which is happening tonight, February 7th. This is our first meetup of the year. We're going to do nine of these in 2020, one in each of the Bay Area counties. And the idea is basically to meet some of you who listen to the show and talk about uh, what you want to hear more of, less of, or just talk about life itself. So that's happening tonight at the Mare Island Tap Room in Vallejo. It's right next to the Ferry Building. We'll be there from 5 to 7 p.m., And by the way, the last ferry leaves at 7, so, you know, just saying. Okay, here's today's show. It's been one year since President Trump made big changes to the way migrants seek asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border. These are people, mostly from Central America, who are trying to escape the dangerous places where they live. Over the last year, a tiny fraction of the migrants from Central America have actually won asylum. And Douglas Oviedo, who now lives in the Bay Area, is one of them. He'll tell you, soy muy afortunado. Fui muy afortunado. I'm so lucky. The Trump administration's so-called remain in Mexico policy has made it much harder for people like Douglas to find safety. Today, how one Central American asylum seeker made it to the Bay Area, and what he's doing now to help others who are still waiting. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. So when I met Douglas in person, he was coming back from his construction job in Daly City. Frida Jabala Romero covers immigration for KQED. She asked Douglas Oviedo to stop by our studios in downtown San Francisco. Douglas is 36 years old, and his family is still in Honduras. He's been in the Bay Area since September. He takes part, uh, you know, for many hours, a couple hours each day. Um, like you do in the Bay. Yes. He was wearing his, you know, like, construction job clothes, a little paint and baggy pants and his little, you know, beanie. And you can tell right away that he's, like, a really intelligent person, um, like, super determined and really creative. And speaking with him, you get the sense that many things are possible. 
por ejemplo, en, 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 con la gente de Tijuana siempre me trato, trato como de, 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 de meterme con, con personas que, que tienen organizaciones con, que trabajan con migrantes, como por ejemplo Border Angels, que trabaja con migrantes. You just have to get organized and And um, he worked for about 15 years with youth in Tegucigalpa, in the capital. Fui pastor de jóvenes en mi país. Trabajé casi por 15 años con, con jóvenes. Y, y, la, y la verdad es que, que mi trabajo con los jóvenes eran con jóvenes que estaban dentro de las pandillas. So he's an evangelical pastor. And he spent um, a lot of time trying to get young people out of gangs and into the church, is how he explained it. Why did he leave Honduras? He got in, in trouble with the gangs because they didn't want their members to leave. Oh, wow. Um, but also because of his you know, political opinion and the protests he was organizing to try to get the government to do something about crime in this neighborhood in Honduras capital where he worked y comencé a exigirle al gobierno que nos pusiera cámaras de seguridad y que los policías hicieran un trabajo de 16 horas diarias en los puntos de las mototaxis. You know, Douglas was really afraid that he was going to be killed and so he decided to flee to the U.S. and he came by himself. His family was left behind. So he traveled through Central America and up through Mexico uh, to get to the U.S. What was that journey like for him? It was November of 2018. He was part of this enormous caravan that President Trump talked about. This caravan is now a political target in Washington. While here, three weeks in, they're still struggling to get out of southern Mexico. And every day begins like this. As the sun gets up, it gets hot, and there are little people to push along. It got a lot of media attention, and it was really this sort of new phenomenon of a lot of people getting together to travel through Mexico because Central American migrants for many years have been very vulnerable when they try to cross Mexico to come to the U.S. But it's time to get on the road with thousands of strangers at 5 a.m. trudging on to the next town 60 kilometers away. And so in 2018, he gets to the border. What happened then? There's a wait list of thousands of people already. So it's going to be a couple of months, at least for the people who stay there that long to actually be able to present themselves before U.S. authorities and ask for asylum. And this wait list of thousands of people has been going on for a while. It's been going on for a while. With the arrival of this big caravan, it, was, it definitely got a lot longer. Douglas was finally able to go before U.S. border officials to ask for asylum on January 29, 2019. And that was the day that the Trump administration put into action this new policy of returning asylum seekers to Mexico so that they have to wait in Mexico for their claims to be resolved in the U.S. And this policy is known as the Migrant Protection Protocol, but also it's more colloquially known as Remain in Mexico policy. That's right. 
Asylum seekers applying for safe haven at the U.S.-Mexico border will no longer be able to wait in the country while their cases unfold. Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen detailed the plan to Congress Thursday. Once implemented, individuals arriving in or entering the United States from Mexico illegally or without proper documentation may be returned to Mexico for the duration of their immigration proceedings. On January 30th, 2019, Douglas and 10 other migrants were among the first group of people to be sent back to Mexico under this new policy. And civil rights groups took notice. The ACLU got in touch and asked Douglas to be part of a lawsuit against this new rule, which they argued made it harder for people with legitimate claims for asylum to seek protection in the United States. This policy for sure has been a sea change in how asylum seekers are processed at the southern border. And I'm hearing from many immigration attorneys that it's just made it so much more difficult for people, even those who who have, you know, very desperate cases, to be able to get the protections in, in the U.S. Instead, under this policy, migrants have been forced to wait in some of the most dangerous areas in Mexico, areas the State Department tells Americans to avoid because of drug cartels and high crime activity. But it's not just that waiting in Mexico can be dangerous. It's that asylum seekers can't get as much help preparing their cases for court. It's a very different scenario when you can, you know, meet a relative, get settled, take a shower, sleep, all that, you know, before you go to your court hearing. Plus, you can bring witnesses. You have time to prepare your case. You can, um, you know, try to get documents from your home country to support your claim. And people in Mexico can't do that. Farida says fewer than 200 people have been able to win asylum under this new policy. That's 200 out of almost 60,000 asylum seekers that the U.S. sent back to Mexico. The odds are even worse for migrants without lawyers. But because of the media attention... Douglas was one of the lucky ones. Having an immigration attorney is, is really important to, to win an asylum case in this country. And vulnerable people without resources, no money in Tijuana, sometimes they don't have cell phones, you know. Um, it's just really hard for them to find an attorney who is willing to go to Mexico and meet with them and prepare their case and stuff. And so, right. so Douglas's case was sort of as exceptional because just because of the timing, also because of his his case. He had a strong case to begin with. You mentioned because of the timing. Is the media attention basically why Douglas was able to get an attorney? I mean, he thinks it was a big part of it. Y el 30 fue cuando nos retornaron y fuimos los primeritos. Entonces, medios de comunicación, organizaciones eh, y mucha gente puso los ojos. His attorney is called Lisa Knox, and she works at Centro Legal de la Raza in Oakland. And she told me that the immigration judge decided Douglas qualified for asylum on, on two grounds. One was that the judge found that he was targeted because of his religious activities. Uh, He was a youth pastor in Honduras and gangs targeted him for that reason. He was also politically active in arranging um, a protest in in, um, Honduras, and he was targeted for that reason. He got asylum approved in, in September of 2019. Fast forward to today. Douglas is now living in the Bay Area, in Hercules. He has a long commute to his construction job in Daly City. He's got a lot of projects going on, too. 
projects that are about helping people who haven't made it to the U.S. He just got a work permit, and so that opens a lot of doors for him. You know, being able to make money to send to his family in Honduras. Um, his family also still depends on him. And I think what struck me the most about speaking with him is just how quickly he's connecting with organizations and people here who are sympathetic to the plight of migrants. So the projects he's working on now are fundraising for the newly opened migrant shelter in Tijuana that he helped build. And then another project he's working on is um, still supporting kids in Honduras. And so he said he has a camp that he's putting together for 150 uh, youth in Honduras. Um, he's organizing a, a soccer tournament as well. Um, and then a bigger project he has is to raise funds to send more immigration attorneys to the border to help asylum seekers like him. But all of this is done after his his work hours. And so he'll spend a long time, three hours commuting from Hercules to Daly City. He doesn't have a car. So he's, you know, walking, taking the bus and then getting on BART and then walking again. Um, and then he'll work for eight hours or longer sometimes. And then he'll get home and just work on all these projects. It sounds like he's still very connected to, to his journey, like and, and what he had to go through to get to the U.S. and get to the Bay Area. He realizes that he's just one of very few of the people he came with in this caravan and, you know, people who got to the border after him who've been able to to come into the U.S. and, and win asylum. Most of the people that he knows from that journey are still at the border in these very difficult conditions. Yeah, and he so it sounds like he's very aware of how lucky he's been. He'll tell you. Fui muy afortunado. Fui muy afortunado porque la verdad que gracias a Dios, yo creo que Dios lo hace todo. En mi vida, pues yo creo que lo hizo todo. Soy muy afortunado. I'm, I'm so lucky. I feel like there's an image of asylum seekers and as people who are fleeing, you know, horrible stuff. But some people, like Douglas, are, you know, changing things along the way, right? Like this guy built a migrant shelter in Tijuana and organized a music festival there. And he's still working on his projects in Honduras. He has this idea of building a bridge between the Bay Area and Tijuana and Honduras. And it just tells you about the places that a lot of these migrants go through in order to come here and the connections they have with these places. Um, and in the Bay Area, I mean, he's just been here for a couple of months, but it sounds like he's already made a bunch of connections that might sort of enable him and people in other places to, to try to improve things. The ACLU and some Bay Area immigrant rights groups have sued the Department of Homeland Security over the Remain in Mexico policy. Douglas is part of this lawsuit, which is playing out in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco. But for now, the policy is still in place, and tens of thousands of people, many who fled from gang violence, just like Douglas, are waiting. 
During his time in Tijuana, Douglas actually wrote a song about what he was feeling while he was in limbo, waiting for his court hearing. Llámenme legal, llámenme legal, por no tener papeles es que soy un ilegal. He talks about the violence in Honduras, the lack of jobs and the corruption in government that's led to people not feeling safe. Llámenme legal, llámenme legal, por no tener papeles es que soy un ilegal. Frida Javala Romero covers immigration for KQED. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and editor Alan Montesilio. KQED's leadership team is Julie Kane, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 